Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. So, anybody in here like to shop? Raise your hand. Uh, it's not just the ladies. Any of the men like to shop? I see a few hands. Don't be shy about it. Uh, you have the gift as well. Um, I heard about a new store on the way uh, into work, and I think the women would be excited about it. I mean, I think even some of the men are going to be interested as well. A new store has opened up in New York City, and it is called the Husband Store. If you want a husband, you can go there and you can shop for one. Now, there's some guidelines for shopping at this specialty store. Um, there's six floors in the store, and once you visit a store, there's none of this looking at the merchandise and going back down. No, you have to, the only way up is through, you got to keep going to the next floor. Uh, one day, a woman went to the husband's store to find a husband on the first floor. The sign read, these men have jobs. She thought, Wow. A man with a job, that would, be, that would be nice. That'd be really good. And she thought about it for a while, and she said, well, I wonder what's on the second floor. So she went up to the second floor where she read the sign, these men have jobs, and they love kids. And she thought, wow, this is getting sweeter by the minute. But still, she felt compelled to keep looking. She went to the fourth floor where the sign read, these men have jobs. Oh, I skipped the floor, didn't I? Floor three. The third floor sign said, these men have jobs, love kids, and are extremely good looking. She thought, well, you know what, maybe I'll just stay on this floor because there's a lot of attributes that I like on this floor. But still, she felt compelled to go to the next floor. She went to the fourth floor where the sign read, these men have jobs, love kids, are drop dead good looking, and they help with the housework. And she said, man, like each time I keep going up, like a man that's good looking, he's got a job, he loves kids, uh, he's, he's got all these things going on, but still, she had to find out what was on the fifth floor. The sign read, these men have jobs, love kids, are drop dead gorgeous, help with the housework, and they have a strong romantic streak. But she thought, well, it keeps getting better, so I just got to see what's on the final floor, the top floor. When she arrived at the top floor, the sixth floor sign read, you are visitor, three billion, two hundred and sixty-one million, four hundred and ninety-six thousand and twelve. There are no men on this floor. This floor simply exists to show that women are impossible to please. Some of you, man, you're like, yeah, preach it, Brandon. I like this husband forward message. Um, <laughs> well, hopefully you like it a little bit later. Uh, now, due to the popularity of the husband store, the owner thought, man, I'm making so much money on this, I got to create a wife store. And he put it across the street to avoid gender bias. So once again, there's six floors. Once you leave a floor, you have to keep going up. None of this returning down uh, to the previous floor. On floor number one, the sign said, this floor has wives that love sex. You can like this. 
The man went up to floor number two. The sign read, this man or this floor has wives that love sex and they have money. Floors three through six had never been visited. Yeah, we got all sorts of kind of men like that in here, right? <laughs> uh, at the center of every great love story is two people who are right for each other, destined to be together. We'll throw some movie couples up behind me. We're able to spot them three or four scenes into the movie, maybe 50 pages into a book. And it's like we know what's coming before they even know what's coming. And by the end of the movie, Two hours later, maybe 300 pages later in a novel, they find out what we knew all along. Man, y'all, teen you need to get your teenagers in control, man. Okay. <laughs> later, they figure out what we knew all along, leaving us entertained and in some cases inspired by their story. The assumption is that there is a right person for you. And once you find that right person, everything will be all right. Now, as you guys know, that is a myth. It's, my hunch is that you guys know that. If you're married in here, you know that when you got married, your partner didn't fix everything. All your problems didn't go away. But instead, it's like life brought out this giant magnifying glass and showed up all of your flaws, your imperfections, uh, what you need to grow and learn in, and the same thing for your spouse. Your spouse is the most sanctifying an often most frustrating relationship that you have. You know that marriage is more for your holiness than your happiness? It's more for your holiness than your, ha than your happiness. I really believe that God uses each one of our spouses to expose the selfishness that we have in our lives and the ways that we can grow and, and become more like him. Does God want us to be happy? Yeah. I believe that he does. You know that word blessed that's often referred to Christians. Anytime you hear somebody out in a restaurant or out and about and you hear that word blessed, it's like a radar detected, they're a Christian. All right, nobody uses that word blessed but us. But God uses that word blessed for us. And one of the main definitions for blessed is happy. I believe that God wants us happy. But I don't think that God wants happiness to be at the expense of holiness. Holiness is, excuse me, happiness is not the only reason to make a decision. If we always acted on what made us happy, I would be preaching to a bunch of single people this morning and not married people, right? Because you got to, there's some give and take, there's some pull. Our culture promotes looking for the right person. Jesus promotes becoming the right person. Becoming the right person. If you're single in here, what if you became the right person before you started looking for the right person? If you're married in here, what if you focus on how you can become better before ever looking at how your spouse can become better? Their areas of improvement. Back to Matthew 19, um, I find this interesting. Jesus doesn't mention your spouse's responsibility. He mentions your responsibility. You know, Jesus is always preaching personal responsibility. Why is this? You know, 85% of people in the world don't take any personal responsibility. Eight out of 10 
people. When something comes against them, when someone makes a negative comment, they go from here to here and they deflect and they point to someone else or something else that provoked the problem because it couldn't be me. It couldn't be my problem. It couldn't be anything like that. A lot of us fail to take personal responsibility. That's why Jesus preached it. That's why I still get to preach it. Personal responsibility, Jim Rome said, the day you cross from childhood to adulthood is the day that you decide to take personal responsibility for your life. One of the great things about responsibility is in the old saying that once you carry your own water, you will learn the value of every drop. Once you carry your own water, you will learn the value of every drop. So how can I be a better spouse? I think there's lots of ways. I think there's ways that you guys could add to this list. But today, for the sake of time in this verse, we'll focus on three. Number one, friendship isn't the means to an end, but the meaning at the end. When I hear people talk and they've been married for a while or maybe they had a spouse pass and and we're having a conversation, um, the number one thing that I always hear about, that their favorite thing about being married or their favorite thing that maybe they miss is just being together, just being friends, just being in the same room, just maybe watching the same show or being in the same room and you've run out of all these things to say but you still enjoy being together, being friends. When Jesus speaks of grace, he's speaking of friendship. You know, one of of the number one things that you give your friends is grace. If you were here, going on the way here this morning, and you got caught off in traffic, and you don't know who it was, you might have given them a bird signal, um, because they don't know you. They're they're not going to find out. But if your friend cuts you off, you laugh, Right? You're like, I see how it is. Let's race, right? If me and Angel race home after this, then um, actually we can't do that. We brought one car. But typically we will race. (laughs) Everything is a competition to me. But I love what Solomon says, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. He's talking about enjoying your spouse. He said, so go ahead, eat your food with joy, and drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Marriage is all about friendship. It's all about friendship. That is the base for every good marriage is the foundation of friendship. I recently read a book called Real Marriage. And the authors in their introduction, they were saying how in preparation, it was a husband and wife that wrote it, in preparation to write this book, they read part or all of 187 books in preparation to write this. That's a lot. They were very thorough. They said in all of these books that they read, some by Christians, some not by Christians, that there was not one chapter on the importance of friendship and marriage. Not one. But it's the base level area that we can all have in our lives to improve our marriages is friendship. I remember when Angel and I dated about 11 years ago, he said, I love you, three months in. And about six to seven months in, we were talking 
and we're hanging out. I don't remember where we were or what we were doing, but I remember the topic of marriage came up. So we started talking about marriage, and an angel said, she kind of gave me a clue. She said, Brandon, whoever I marry, I want them to be my best friend. And I lit up. I was like, well, I said, we're best friends. She kindly looked at me. She said, no, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. Uh, I made it my yearly goal uh, for 2011 to become Angel's best friend. By the end of the year, she by year one, she said that we were best friends. She got her wish. She got to marry her best friend. It's, it's well-versed that men and women were different. Uh, I find it interesting. There's just one study that was done, uh, and it showed what's important to husbands and wives in their marriages, and the determining factor in whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, the romance, and the passion in their marriage, 70% of it is due to their friendship. Husbands were asked the same question if they were satisfied with the sex, the romance, the passion in their marriage, and by 70%, they said, friendship. Maybe men and women aren't from a different planet after all. Friendship isn't the means to an end, but the meaning at the end. Number two, when love and respect are honed, heaven will be in your home. When love and respect are honed, heaven will be in your home. I suspect a lot of you know this, but everything for a man is either respect or disrespect. Everything for a woman, from what I've been told, is either loving or unloving. That's the two lenses that we see through. Next time you get in a fight with your spouse, ask that question. Do they feel disrespected right now? Do they feel unloved right now? Is this just a problem we can deal with, or is that really the issue? Paul says in Ephesians 5:33, "So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife respect, must respect her husband." I asked Angel the other day, and I can't repeat it verbatim, um, but she, I asked her, what, because you're prepping a message, and you do your reading, you do your living, um, but you always want to get the perspective of people that you're close to, and I was like, what are the most important keys to our marriage or marriage in general? And she said, I know if I can respect you verbally and take care of your needs physically, you're good. I am the average man in the husband store, all right? Um, <laughs> Throughout Ephesians 5 and talking about marriage, Paul gives more, this might shock you, he gives more responsibility not to wives but to husbands. And often we hear this verse and it's shown out of context that wives submit to your husband. But I bet you may not know the verse before that says in Ephesians 5:21 and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In my marriage, Angel doesn't just submit to me, I submit to her. I may have headship, but you know headship doesn't mean dictatorship. It doesn't mean it's my way or the highway. It's, hey, I'm going to sacrificially give and serve you, and then she does the same. When we make decisions, anytime we make a major decision, it has to be a mutual 
agreement. Statistically speaking, if you share the power with your spouse, you are 80, it, let me say it like this, if you don't share the power with your spouse, if you make it my way or the highway, there's an 81% chance that your marriage is going to self-destruct because you choose, chose to make that decision. When it comes to buying a house, maybe to buying a car, it's not just a one-person deal. How about when you choose a home church? You know, choosing a home church is not your child's decision. It's your decision. See, an eight-year-old isn't leading your family spiritually. You're leading your family spiritually. And to all the men in here, you want to have pastor or pastors that you can respect, that you can look up to, that you can model your life after. And if you feel like you can't, maybe there's another place. But you want to have that. You want to be inspired personally. You want to be challenged personally. And it's your decision. It's mom and dad's decision on where your family's home church is. Angel and I use an app called Every Dollar where we track our expenses, do our budget. And anytime maybe we're, one of us is suggesting changing budget percentages, it's not just her decision. It's not just my decision. One of us may champion it. But the other agrees to it. It takes both on that. Maybe it's a giving decision. The tithe is a requirement. It's not a suggestion. But anything beyond that is a mutual decision. Um, Angel is far more generous than I am. Um, there's one way. There's definitely areas uh, that I can grow in. I remember uh, some of these building campaigns that we've done over the last three years. We'd, we'd pray about it. We'd each get a number on what we we're going to sacrificially give. And it's happened twice now. And we're, we're having a meal or a conversation, and the subject gets brought up. It's like, well, what do you feel like the Lord wants us to give? What do you want to give? And I mentioned my number, and I feel like, man, I'm really stretching it like this. I don't, this doesn't feel comfortable. Um, I know the verse said that God loves a cheerful giver, but he doesn't hate an uncheerful giver. Um, if you've never given and it didn't hurt you, then you probably haven't given big enough yet. But I told her my number, and every time, her answer, double. Double. And I, and I just, she champions it. And I respect my wife that she hears from God that she has um, a conviction about this decision, and I fall in line. It's not just her submitting to me, it's me submitting to her, that you share the mutual power in your relationship. But the most compelling verse about marriage to me in that chapter in Ephesians 5.25 is, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church. You know how long that's going to take me? Forever. <laughs> at the end of my life, I'm not even going to be at the capacity where I love Angel the way Jesus loves me. You know, I firmly believe we don't need this big, long list of ways that we can be better. Husbands, if we can just love our wives like Jesus loves us, how does Jesus love us? Unconditionally, with respect, with honor. Even if we're stuck in shame, making horrible decisions, he sees a great future for us. He sees a great purpose for us. And he doesn't speak down to us. He speaks up. He speaks life into us. What if you were like that 
to your spouse? What if they got the best part of you and not the worst part? Number three, and I'll close with this. If you change what you see, you'll change where you go. If you change what you see, you'll change where you go. The third quality that Jesus mentioned in Matthew 19 is the maturity and the growth it takes to grow into marriage. One of the most common attributes and characteristics that I see in mature people in my life and people I respect or maybe people I read is their outlook. It's their perspective on life. It's like no matter how crazy stuff on the outside is, it doesn't affect them as much because they know only they can control the inside. Only they can control the internal. Maybe when everybody's so fixated on what's happening right now, they have the long view in mind. They see where it can go. They see where it can grow. Mature spouses realize and accept that they can't change each other, only themselves. There was uh, this apartment that they'll uh, put up on the screen behind me is in Seattle, Washington. And everything in the apartment looks normal. Uh, doesn't look out of the ordinary. In fact, it looks, it looks kind of nice. Um, but the apartment wasn't just an apartment. It was a laboratory at the University of Washington in Seattle where for 16 years, John Gottman spearheaded the most extensive and innovative research into marriage and divorce. And the apartment looked normal, but what wasn't normal was the three video cameras on the wall, the uh, microphone that was on their shirt. The, they had these halter monitors that surveyed uh, what their heart, how their heart was reacting in their discussions. Uh, if their blood pressure rose, if their heart rate went up. And 50 couples were selected that chose to come, and they spent the weekend uh, at this apartment in Seattle. The cameras are on only in the common areas from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. But they're instructed, hey, make this as normal of a weekend as possible. If you need your hand weights, if you want to bring your pet, if you want to bring groceries, whatever you need to make this a normal weekend, bring that on the weekend that you come stay with us. And his goal in this experiment was to finally answer the questions that have puzzled people for so long. Why is marriage so tough at times? Why do some marriages click and then others tick away like a time bomb? Um, how can you prevent a marriage from going bad? How can you rescue one that already has? And after this 16-year experiment, John Gottman now, if he sits with the couple for five minutes and listens to them talk, he can, with a 91% success rate, tell you whether they're going to stay married or not. He just got to hear them talk for five minutes. He just got to hear their outlook on their marriage. One of the things that he always asks people is, tell me about the beginning. Tell me about when you first fell in love, when you started dating, the first year of your marriage. Tell me about that. And everybody that had a positive spin on how they told it didn't get divorced. It was a 94% rate. But anytime you ask that question and a spouse had an answer with a little bit of an undertone, 
a little bit of a disrespect, a little jab, I don't mean playful, but just a little jab, then trouble was on the horizon. How do you see things? You know, this choice doesn't necessarily, it's not, man, how do I change what I'm looking at? No, how do you internally change what you see? How can you change your perspective when it comes to marriage and when it comes to life? You know, I believe in the strongest marriages that husbands and wives, they share a deep sense of meaning. They don't just get along, but they also support each other's dreams, purpose, aspiration. And like Brandon, well, what about the arguments? You know, the happiest marriages have arguments. And it's not even bad. Well, Brandon, we have yelling arguments. Okay. Are you guys compatible with that? Because some people are going to be high. Some people are going to be low. Some people can't take that. But if you're getting the truth out and you're doing it with love, then your marriage will progress and grow from there. You know, most arguments are not really about the lid or the trash, but it's about something deeper. It's, man, does this person love me? Does this person respect me? You know, you and your spouse are going to have natural preferences, and it is what it is. One of you may be clean. One of you may be messy. One of you may like the light. One of you, like, just want to live in a dungeon, and you keep it dim at all times. You don't want to let the light in. Uh, Maybe one of you drives fast. The other one drives slow. You know, there's two problems when it comes to marriage. There's perpetual problems, and there's solvable problems. And 70% of the time, it's just a perpetual problem. If we talk in two years from now, you'll probably be fighting about the same thing. (laughs) But it's just a quirk. It's just the fundamental differences of personality, of values, of who that person is. No matter where you come from, who you marry, you're going to have differences. But can you focus on the friendship first? If you focus on how much that you love that person, what that person means to me, then you'll just, you'll let some of the small stuff fly. What we got to do is not major on the minors, but major on the majors. Do they love God? Do they love you? Are they making an effort to grow? Do they parent well? Do they treat others well? So how can you be a better spouse? Man, be friendly. Give love and respect, even if you don't feel like it. And thirdly, Watch your perspective. Watch how you see things. See it with optimism. Don't see it as negative. But the band's going to come back up. And during this message, is there one thing that you feel like, Brandon, you know what, that, that really stuck out to me. That's something that I can grow in. Maybe I used to be really close. Maybe we used to be best friends, but we've kind of been drifting apart. Maybe that's an area that you can grow in. Brandon, it could be, man, I, I don't feel like I respect Or maybe verbally show my respect as often as I need to. Maybe I don't verbally or physically show my love as I ought to. That's my area. Maybe the third one, maybe it's just your perspective. And you know, nobody can change this but you. No one can change your perspective but you. So where are you in the equation? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we love you. 
God, right now, we just thank you for how you treat us, for the friendship that we have with you, the love and respect that you showed us, the perspective that you have towards us. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here. Do a work in our hearts. Do a work in our lives. God, we just humble ourselves before you right now, acknowledging that we can grow, acknowledging that we can be better. But God, we need your strength. We need your spirit. And Holy Spirit, right now, we just invite you to have your way in us, to, for your transforming power to be available to us. And if you're in this room today, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you're like, Brandon, you know, I feel like maybe I have a good marriage. Maybe it could grow. Maybe you're single. You know, marriage is the second most important relationship. But the most important relationship that you can have in your life is the relationship that you have with Jesus, the decision that you make to make him the Lord of your life. And maybe today's your day. Maybe you've been pushing it off, but we're, none of us are promised tomorrow or not promised next week or 10 years from now. If you're feeling that challenge to you, like Brandon, I know I'm, I'm just going to make a decision. It's not going to be about me anymore. I'm going to make it about Jesus. I'm going to make him the Lord of my life. If you're in here, will you just pray this prayer with me? Everybody say, Father, I receive your love. Jesus, today I choose to follow you. I choose to make you Lord. I believe that you came, that you lived a perfect life, that you died, and that you rose again. I accept your salvation for me. I am saved. Holy Spirit, fill me, guide me, teach me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you're in the room and you prayed that prayer, I love what Jesus said. He said, if you acknowledge me on earth, then I can acknowledge you in heaven. Right now, the Father's in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. The Holy Spirit's on the earth. But maybe you made that decision. You want to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just be bold. I'm going to count to three. Uh, and then you can just raise your hand in the air. One, two, three. Anybody in the room? One hand, two hands. Awesome. Awesome. If you're watching online, you made that decision. You're watching on our website. There's a salvation button. You can let us know the decision you made. If you need anyone to reach out, need a new book. If you made that decision today, there's at the Connect Desk. They'll meet you after service. They've got a free book for you. We'd love to meet you and get to know you. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming today. I'm going to go ahead and turn it back over to Travis. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.